It is Monday, January the 25th, 2021. The Buffalo Bills did what the Buffalo Bills do and lost a big game last night. And you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. My name is Kingdom, Anthony Kingdom James, a.k.a. Anthony Rutgazer. And uh, yeah, the Buffalo Bills, they really know how to let a brother down, man. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I, instead of, uh, I, I'm not going to explain the whole thing. I'm going to play a piece of tape for you right here, but... Uh, back on December 23rd, 2020, my brother, sportscaster Peter Rutgazer, was on the show, and uh, I got him to make some... It was two weeks before the NFL playoffs were set to begin. I got him to make some predictions. He did, and we ended up making a bet. We ended up making a bet. Eh, 20 bucks. That's, that's you know, it's a friendly bet. And uh, I'm not going to explain the whole thing. I'm going to play the tape for you. You can hear us making the bet, and then you'll you'll understand why I'm upset with the Buffalo Bills. Here, here here's the tape. Two two weeks left in the NFL, and then we're on to the playoffs. What are you? Uh, who are you looking at for the playoffs in the NFL? Oh well, I mean, Kansas City, obviously. I mean, the way they're playing. They are just uh, just potent offensively, and, and I just don't see anybody beating them. I mean, they're never out of the game. Um, so Kansas City, and you know, to be quite honest with you, that I don't, I, I really don't know another team. I mean, Buffalo's had a resurgence this season. They won their um, the AFC East, which they won for the first time in in, in ages. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I just don't see anybody beating Kansas City. I mean, um, okay. So Kansas yeah. City in the AFC. Who have you got in the NFC? Oh, that is a that's that's a good question. Um, I guess Green Bay, but um, I, I just don't see anybody in the a- a- NFC beating Kansas City. Okay, so you're thinking you're thinking definitely Kansas City in the Super Bowl for the AFC. Oh yeah, I mean, if they can stay healthy, and that's you know that's always the the concern for for any team in any sport. If they can stay healthy, I just don't see anybody beating Kansas City. So you'll take uh, you'll take twenty bucks against the field. Uh, <laughs> maybe twenty bucks. Against, I'll tell you what, twenty bucks. You you can choose. You can choose the bet. Twenty bucks against the AFC field to make the Super Bowl. Or uh, oh, well, if... I'll take I'll take that bet. I'll take. Okay, that. all right, that's the bet then. Twenty bucks okay. against the AFC field to make okay. the Super Bowl. Fuck okay. yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take twenty bucks from you. Okay. <laughs> you might as well just give me the twenty bucks now. Now you want you want to talk hockey here? So there we go. Kansas City against the field. Come on, you're gonna take that bet. Kansas City against the field. Well, Kansas City beat the Buffalo Bills last night with a final score of 38 to 24. It was uh 
It was a bigger win than even that score indicates. Buffalo Buffalo did poop the bed mightily. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Kansas City will now go to the Super Bowl against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, it's a little surprising there. Is it Tampa Bay, is that... Uh, no, 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 Jacksonville. I always want to think that the Buccaneers are the team that the Con family owns, but it's, uh, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think I had to correct Peter about that, too, when we were talking about it. Uh, anywho, look, the important thing is, Peter Rutgazer, you're a better sports prognosticator than I am, and uh, uh, you're going to have 20 bucks waiting for you the next time we see you. <laughs> How to pay y'all in pennies. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love my brother. I'm actually, I'm, you know, listen, I am not upset to lose this public a bet to my brother. He came on the show. I present him as a sports expert. He proved it. What are you going to do? Uh, we'll call it an appearance fee. Um, not going to waste too much time on the opening for the show today because we've got a guest coming up, uh, author and friend Greg Oliver. Greg and I go back, I mean, even longer than I ever remember. He keeps having to remind me uh, about the first time we met, which was in the late 80s. I mean, we go back. So... um Greg is a damn fine dude. He's a damn good guy and a prolific author. We'll talk about all that in the in the interview, including a look at his brand new book and a few words about his next book. Uh, so without with no further ado, with no further ado, uh, let's hit the record scratch and then let's talk to Greg Oliver on the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Folks, today on the show, I am pleased to welcome a good friend of mine for lo these many, many years, the author or co-author of 16 books, mostly on the subjects of professional wrestling and hockey, uh, and a couple of children's books thrown in uh, for, for good measure. But right now, he is promoting his new book, The Story of Canadian Comedy Legend Billy Van the author of Who's the Man, Billy Van. Please welcome Greg Oliver to the Handsome Genius Club. Hey, Greg. Hello there, Anthony. Long time knowing you, as they say, right? <laughs> the, I'm on your show. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so. that, that sounds like an admission of guilt more than it does a greeting, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I was debating. We must have met when we were about 17, I think, probably, right? So, Where did we meet the first time? I don't know. It was, you were you were CG's Brienne's uh, little buddy. So oh I my don't... god. So yeah, I would have been I would have been eighteen. I would have been seventeen or eighteen. So you were like her boy toy, right? What? I don't know. This is all getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we we met through rest. That was like the my first exposure to uh to yeah, pro wrestling, especially indie wrestling was uh she was doing a newsletter and uh was helping uh helping book people uh helping book a couple a few indie shows and i ended up um 
I ended up ring announcing some shows when I was uh, when I was like eighteen, and that okay. was that was my start. Well, you were doing art too, as I recall. Yeah, I was doing. I, I did some. I did some art for her newsletter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my memory is not completely faulty. No, no, your memory is <laughs> your memory is quite on point, my friend. Okay. But let's uh, let's talk about. <laughs> I don't know how we got out. That's your fault. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the new book. And uh, the big question up front would be, why Billy Van? What what was it about him that compelled you to tell his story? That's a good question. I wondered myself of that over the last 12 years working on it. Um, it Well, of course, I grew up watching Claire's House of Frankenstein, and, and you came home and Party game was on just before dinner. It was uh, like a six o'clock, five thirty show on CHCH. Those two ones, especially, and Bizarre, and Bizarre was just such a great show to watch. Uh, you know, when you're like a teenager and you're going, "Wow, this is so cutting edge and so funny," and later you learn that we got the sort of the PG version because in on Showtime in the U.S. there were topless girls. Yeah. <laughs> so we really lost out, but it, it's all those things added together. Um, Stacy Case is a um, one of those unique characters in this uh, province of ours who uh, just loves unique things. Whether it's the pillow fighting league that he ran, whether it's his uh, you know his old band, the Tijuana Bibles, whatever it is, he gets so enthusiastic about stuff and really into it. Um, as Stacy and I went down to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame one year together, and uh, we ended up talking a lot about Billy Van and Frankenstein and. You know, that one, one thing sort of led to another. I ended up talking to um, uh, Reggie Love, Rotten Reggie Love of the Love Brothers, uh, who was on Bazaar often because they needed strong men occasionally, right, or right. wrestlers to, to do some shtick. And so that led me to calling John Biner, and I got to talk to John Biner. Uh, and I asked him a little bit about Billy Van. So I had stuff in the can like, a, you know, a dozen years ago. Uh, and then you sort of just poke away on it. Uh, there was a time I didn't work on it at all, and then all of a sudden, the last couple of years, it's like, let's go. Yeah. Let's. And we were all in. And um, Stacy, I, I think I call him an Uber fan at one point. Well, he was also my Uber fan, and uh, really helpful and supportive and encouraging. And and of course, he still is. But it was a team effort. Uh, but I did the writing. That's the best way to put it. He helped <laughs> with interviews. He did all kinds of other stuff. Uh, he had a research he was invaluable to the project. You had a well, research assistant. Um, if I was, yeah, it would, that, that'd be a little bit different because if I had a real research assistant, I may be better able to take direction. But, you know, Stacy's <laughs> just a guy who gets enthusiastic <laughs> and right into stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he'll go off on tangents and stuff like that. And they're all good. And, and the enthusiasm does rub off. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely great. But he's the one that knew the family. Yeah. Um, so he was able to bring in, obviously, Tracy Van Everett, Billy's oldest daughter, or youngest daughter. Um, he had the manuscript that Billy had written that at that point had been unpublished. Uh-huh. Um, and it was not a very complete life story at all. He called it Second Banana. And his assertion was that he never had any starring roles. He was never a big deal. He really played down his stardom. Uh, so right from the start, we had to correct all that. And he left out his entire life beyond, you know, what you saw on the screen. Yeah. So he mentions his one wife, his second wife, because they sang together. Other than that, nobody else was mentioned from his family. Wow. Um, you know, not his, not his two daughters. Uh, his first wife, you know, had their, their daughter and then Billy had nothing to do with her. 
Um, so there's all kinds of skeletons in his closet that we we dug up in this process, and that just made it more compelling and more compelling. Mm. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let me back up for a second because I'm making the assumption, of course, that uh, that everybody listening will know the hilarious house of Frankenstein, and that's unfortunately not the case. And the hilarious house of Frankenstein was a uh, children's show produced here in Canada in Hamilton, Ontario. In 1971-72, they did one season of an incredible 130 episodes, 131, you know, 48 minutes each, They, you know, so they'd run an hour on TV. Uh, so it was syndicated here in, in, in Canada and, and, and in the States, and here in Canada, especially on CHCH, uh, Hamilton Television, um, that produced the show it ran on weekends decades decades after um that initial that initial year run so most kids i know especially in ontario uh of and this goes beyond a certain age but most most people i know know of hilarious house of frightenstein because growing up through the 70s the 80s even into the 90s this thing was still on the air this thing was still it was still it was like an evergreen and it was still on the air and billy van was a tour de force on this show he played probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 12 characters and including, you know, the Count and uh, the, the the DJ, the Wolfman, and Dr. Petvet. All these different characters that they managed to film uh, 130 episodes worth of in nine months in this studio in Hamilton. And I think more than anything, it's a testament to Billy Van's versatility. Most of these episodes weren't scripted were they they were just let's put billy van in a costume and point a camera at him well even that's a little bit unfair to say because they weren't episodes they weren't filmed as episodes they were filmed as that character so when he became the oracle they would film the oracle for three or four days and do all the segments of the oracle right and so that made it um a little bit hard to picture how it was all going to end up, I think, for both the cast and the crew. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, they had some good scripted stuff. And then by the time Billy had done sort of the scripted stuff the first three, four times, he understood what they wanted from the character. And then they just let him riff and, and do his own stuff. And and the riff there is, is of course, uh, somewhat uh, ironic because the producer's name was Riff Markowitz. Yeah. And uh, Billy learned to just loathe him. Not only from the work level that point, um, though we continued to work with him for another decade on Party Game, uh, where Riff was also the producer. But I think Billy, over time, got really upset over the fact that he was remembered mainly for Clara's House of Frightenstein mm. and never saw another dime beyond what he was paid to actually be in those episodes. Um, he, 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 it was a bone of contention for him, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And when he wrote his memoir, he, per, he didn't even list Riff's name. He would just call him the producer. Wow. So he had a lot of hate on for the guy. Do so we he know? called him a, a, a scoundrel at one point in, <laughs> in his last ever interview. And that that's a really nasty word for somebody who grew up in the 50s, a yeah. scoundrel. 
Do do we know uh, what Billy Van was paid for Hilarious House of Frightenstein? No, I was never able to dig that up. Mm. But, you know, the fact is that look at how long it ran. Right. Right? And and now you look at all the merch and all these things that, that are out there being sold. Well, you know what? Billy's family doesn't get a dime out of that. Yeah. So, you know, it's wrong on all kinds of levels, but uh, who am I to say I haven't really – given any money to the family yet either because we have to first pay our bill for the book <laughs> so let's be realistic though tracy got her books and she's been distributing to her friends and family and stuff yeah. so it's uh it was definitely a good synergy between us all now you mentioned uh party game which was basically a uh a televised version of charades that you know the the sunken living room set and it was uh, uh a team of uh a set of uh, Canadian celebrities uh, playing against various, uh, you know, contestants that were, you know, game show contestants. Um, but he also, Billy Van also uh, went to the States for a while and appeared on shows like uh, the, the Sonny and Cher variety show. But he didn't stay in the States, did he? He was there... Roughly from 1970, 71 to about 74, 75, um, he never got the Hollywood lifestyle. He never really loved it. And at some point, he was mugged as well. And that certainly turned him off, uh, mugged at gunpoint in his hotel room. Jeez. So it turned him off with the whole Hollywood lifestyle and living down there. At that point, he was living on his own. Later, he brought down his third wife and her son, Jamie, who became his stepson. Um, so they came down there and all lived together for a while. So they definitely had some good times in California, but it just didn't really suit him. So he went back to Toronto and, and lived there the rest of his life. Uh, it's not saying he didn't go abroad because he did, especially for Colt 45 ads. Uh, he was the spokesperson, the silent spokesperson for Colt 45 mm-hmm. for like 15 years and did stuff in Israel and, and, you know, Ontario and just everywhere. Baltimore is where it was all based. California like so he went everywhere to do that stuff and it's um again a testament to how great he was when he can be a spokesperson and not say a word <laughs> but tra- I mean traveling to work is is one thing but um he never e- even the even the American television programs that he uh that he appeared on afterwards I mean you mentioned Bazaar which was uh John Biner's comedy show that was filmed at CFTO Studios in Scarborough, here in you know the east end of Toronto, so as far as living arrangements went, he had his fill of the United States pretty quickly. I take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and 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 but his whole career is also a testament to who you know. So Alan Bly was a singer on CBC in the fifties as well, like Billy was, mm-hmm. and uh, so they stayed friends. And then Alan Bly ended up down in California. And he came up with the idea for all kinds of different shows, whether it was uh, Ray Stevens, Andy, Andy Williams show, the Andy Williams show, Sonny and Cher, all these different things that he did. And he brought Billy around to a lot of those different things. Uh, and that's the way life works, right? You yeah. know, it's about who you know. Uh, Chris Beard was the other guy on Sonny and Cher, and he had done Nightcap on CBC with Billy. So Billy obviously made an impression with these guys because he was always hardworking. He always, when he showed up, he got his job done. He wasn't a big goof, I guess, is, might be a simple way to put it. He he liked to work, and, and he was almost a workaholic from everybody I talked to. That's what, the good way to describe him. He loved to do the work, 
and then they never knew anything about them. So yeah. that's also why this book exists to try to, you know, share some of that knowledge. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned uh, already briefly, and you, and you talk about in the book that he was married five times in total. Huh? That we knew about. Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, so he had a high school wife, basically right out of high school, and they had a kid, and he had nothing to do with Robin other than meeting her a couple times as a baby, and then she came to find him when she was an adult. And that story is told in there, and she okay. shared some heartbreaking letters. Um, he had a second daughter with his second wife, who was Patty, um, Patty Brooks, um, who he, he sang with. So they, they'd known each other a long time, and that one really built. But essentially, it went every 10 years. He needed a new wife, and he would trade in the old one for a younger one. Uh, and it wasn't until Susan, who was his last one, and the one he was with when he died, um, that he'd found somebody closer in age to himself. Mm -hmm. So he always said that that was finally the right choice. Unfortunately, Susan didn't want to be a part of this book. So, oh. you know, I did my best to, to include everybody I could, but that was probably the one key figure that wasn't a part of the book. Hmm. And uh, you, you say that the he, he had two daughters, one from the first marriage, one from the second marriage, and uh, he, but he only maintained a relationship with his second daughter. Correct. And... and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was I was going to throw in Jamie, who was a stepson from the third right. wife. Right. Yeah. Uh, she. He was the same age as Tracy, so he was sort of in and out of you know Billy's life. I, I can't say they were close, but it, it really is a third child, though mm -hmm. it isn't anything he's actually responsible for. But you know, they'd occasionally have a beer or whatever. Yeah. So. And you were able to speak to all three children for for the book. Yes. Oh. Yes, and and like I said, some of it was quite heartbreaking. So even his first wife is still alive, Joan, oh. living down in Florida, and, and it was just interesting just hearing, you know, it's life in the 50s growing up. It's the malt shop going and necking and, and wearing your letter jacket. So all those kind of things are just so different than, you know, you get to the models like Claudia, who was his fourth wife. So it was, it was a real time warp going through all these different things. Hmm. Uh, now, we, we talked about a little about the the pretty much breakneck pace at which house of frightenstein was filmed 130 episodes in in that you know segments for 130 episodes they got pieced together that were filmed in just nine months uh and most of the show is is billy van in various costumes doing various characters even when there are other actors on the screen, people like Fisher race as igor and you know or or various puppets um they're sharing space with Billy Van. How how did he handle the workload? I think you alluded to this already, but how did he handle that workload? <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't easy. At some point, he had a breakdown, wow. an actual mental breakdown, and they they stopped filming his stuff for a while and went back and did some of the other things. Right, like some of the puppetry was done when he wasn't around. The mm -hmm. whole Vincent Price, he Billy never met Vincent Price on set. That oh. was all done at another point. Um, so it's just it, it, it's such a unique way to film, and you talk to anybody in the you know film and television industry today, and you tell them how much they did in such a short amount of time, their their jaws drop. Like it's just not possible today, uh, even with improved technology. It's yeah. just nobody works that way. Did uh, did he maintain a relationship with any of the other actors? I know Guy Big uh, passed away 
pretty early, pretty not too long after the show, if I'm if I'm right. Uh, yeah, no, no, you know you're correct. And Fishka died, I think, in '74 as well. So yeah. they weren't really around a long time after that. Hmm. Uh, he never saw, he never met Julius Sumner either. Um, the the um, the professor. science guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's not like he was there. I, but the cast, he didn't even see a lot of the the crew. Sorry, I guess is the best way to put it. When he was doing um, back at CHCH to do party game, and they would film that in the you know early the spring or summer. And they would do something similar. They would do five episodes a day. Yeah. So everybody who went there, so the the home team would have their five outfits, and then whoever the guests were that came in were were instructed to bring five different outfits, which is a, a hard sell trying to explain to somebody, right? <laughs> yeah. like, but they had to change their outfits every day, and they're really seventies outfits for sure. You got to watch out for those collars. <laughs> Um, but it it's just part of the the charm of it. But it's also like I said, it speaks to the work ethic that uh, they were forced to do but it, they got the job done yeah one of the uh, one of the odder things that he did i shouldn't say odd because i mean it's it, it it's it's basically meant for a guy like him that can bring a personality to something even dry is uh bits and bites the computer show that he did and i want to say that was the, the early 80s or the mid 80s early 80s yeah, yeah the early 80s where uh, the idea of home computers is still very new, and um, that was another program. I don't think that was CHCH. That I want to say that was CKVR. No, it was TVO. It was TVO. Okay, all right. So it's fascinating. So essentially, as I said before, it's it's about who you know. And he met uh, Denise Boiteau and, and David Stansfield, who were a married couple who were involved in doing educational programming, mm-hmm. and. So they needed somebody to be able to communicate, be sort of a neophyte, and yet be entertaining with bits and bytes. And so that's what they got. And Lubagoy was still pretty young and wasn't very well known at that point uh, as the uh, computer expert. Right. And so you put the two together, and they, they worked well together. Um, and, and that led the way for Billy did probably a decade's worth of uh, educational shows of some way. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, the one show he probably was seen the most on was a physics show called Eureka. It was just a cartoon. And so he did the voice explaining, you know, the physics of physics, right? How it all works. They got played in schools, in classrooms for over 30 years. So you think about the number of kids that saw or that heard his voice, you know, and that's got to dwarf anything he else that he did probably except maybe Sonny and Cher at its peak when it was a top 10 show. Um, so that that really speaks to his versatility, right? Whether it's doing, uh, you know, comedy and 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 acting on the fly, or whether it's doing voiceovers. Um, he did singing, he did dancing. The guy was an incredible talent. Fantastic. Um, now, I, now I I for me growing up with hilarious House of Frankenstein, this is I you know I I have to get together with you at some point and get a copy of the book. I I I want to have this on my bookshelf. But there are a couple of other of your books that <laughs> that I that I already have. One that I gifted to my brother, and I want to talk to you about your your other writing endeavors. Mostly, uh, I want to say it's well, like six hockey books and seven uh, wrestling books at this point. 
think that sounds right. And then two kids books. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first question right off is, I mean, hockey makes sense. Why wrestling? How the hell did you get involved in wrestling? (laughs) When I was a teenager and and back when we met, uh, I was doing a newsletter called the Canadian Wrestling Report. And I just fell in love with Hulkamania. It ran wild over me. It was all in the schoolyard. But, but I mean, it all coincides so well that we, at that point, we got our Apple IIe computer. And one of the programs we got was like a desktop publishing program mm-hmm. called the Newsroom. And we were able to play around a bit. So all of a sudden, you know, my brother and I and my, my best friend Serge, we put out this little newsletter, not, not knowing that there was already, you know, the Wrestling Observer and all these other things out there. And so, you know, started selling it around the schoolyard for a quarter and all that kind of stuff. And then it just grew. And at some point I had, you know, a couple of hundred subscribers around the world uh, over the five years I did that. Uh, and that got me involved in pro wrestling. Um, but it also got me involved in writing. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I knew I'd ended up, I, I knew that I would end up at Ryerson. I never had any doubt that they would get me in there because of all that experience, because I'd worked part time at the Kitchen and Waterloo Record. All these things added up that I knew I was going to get offered a spot at Ryerson, and I did. I did my three years in journalism and stayed away from wrestling. Uh, I tried my best to stay away from it anyway. I did go to a few shows and, and stayed in touch with some friends. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm working at the Toronto Sun, and they start the website, Canoe, and I was one of the day one guys that started the, the Sun's website, and that's right around the time of the Monday Night Wars. So all of a sudden, wrestling's hot again, and you know we have wrestling content coming in from Calgary and and Toronto and Ottawa. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's build a wrestling section. So John Powell and I built Slam Wrestling um, and started populating it, and ended up with a pretty amazing product. How many other wrestling websites out there that are there out there that have been around, you know, 24 years? None, not many at all. Uh, and you've you've taken this, you've taken Slam Wrestling basically independent. You've You've uh, it, it's it's gone from canoe. Does canoe even exist anymore? Sort of. It's it's more about post media and the Sun papers now. It it it's just how the world turns, right? Yeah. Back in the day, the Sun didn't believe the web would exist at all. They just thought it was ridiculous that we were spending any time or money on this. Uh, and and that changes through time, right? Now everything goes to the web first, and then to the newspaper. And so during early days of the pandemic. Post media was looking to cut some ties and mm-hmm. cut some budget, and so I was a small line in the budget, and they they cut us there. Uh, fortunately, my contract stated that we owned all our content. Ah, so they had to figure out a way to take 23 years of content and pull it out of their system and put it into a system we could use. Uh, so that was on them to do that, and they did. And it wasn't perfect by any means, but mm-hmm. we found a good partner down in Welby Press down in Nashville. And um, and so our site exists on its own. It's been a little bit of hiccupy, I guess, at times Yeah. Um, without guaranteed income. But, you know, those are the challenges you go through. And I've got such great writing staff, uh, such great editorial you know, people looking after the books and the movie sections or all the work John Powell does. Um, that we still stand among the best websites out there, even if we don't have a big parent above us anymore. And you're seeing growth in the website? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the traffic's there. You you want more. Everybody wants more. But I think wrestling today is in a little bit of a doldrum. As much as AEW has, you know, sort of shooken things up a bit, 
it's really WWE that drives, you know, the wrestling eyes, mm-hmm. eyeballs, and always will. And when they don't have anybody breaking through and, and being talked about, then I think wrestling business as a whole suffers. Are you uh, are you watching much of the current on-air product? No. <laughs> None. I think I knew that was going to be the answer. I, think I don't I, know. I, I don't have time. I don't have interest. And, and But I still run the website, and I still love old-timers. Yeah. Right? Like, we had an article this week on Joel Deaton. We had an article this week on Butch of Shaw. And I just love these kind of features yeah. um, and, and celebrating these guys because they still tell better stories. I talked to Tasha Steeles from Impact this week, and she was a sweet interview. I, I like talking to her, but I've never, ever seen her wrestle. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean you can't do the job and interview somebody. You just do a little due diligence. And, you know, Bob Kapoor is our regular writer for Impact. He sent me some questions and you do the interview. Yeah. Writing is writing. Yep. You know, no matter what you're writing about. Well, it's, I mean, it's obvious from your book output that um, that the history of pro wrestling is what fascinates you the most. I mean, most of the book, you, you, you have a series, the, you know, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. The, the tag teams, the Canadians, heroes and icons. Um, so, I mean, if there were somebody, if there were somebody in the golden age of wrestling that I needed to know about, you would definitely be uh, a, a top resource. So, uh, I am not entirely surprised to hear that, that there's a disconnect for you between you know, the wrestling of your youth and uh, what is being put on television today. Yeah, I I, I think that's a good way to put it. It's a disconnect. Um, But even back in the day, I wasn't a guy who would watch film and watch videotapes all day. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not who I am. Even as a hockey writer, I don't obsess about the Leafs to watch it. Like, it's just, it's part of who I am. I enjoy watching them, but I don't obsess about having to catch it all. Yeah. And, and and that's fine. I, I think it's a little healthier, but you know everybody's <laughs> into what they're into, yeah. right? Is there a story? What's what's next for you as far as writing projects? Is there a story or a biography that you are pursuing or want to pursue? That's a good question. Are we going to do the Handsome Genius book or what? Oh uh, Jesus! <laughs> oh, oh wait, 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 too many people go to jail after that, right? Okay. <laughs> no, there are stories. There are stories that I just don't tell because, you know, like if I change the names to protect the guilty, you take some of the fun out of the story. <laughs> and, 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 and then there's my own horrible crimes. Uh, but, but I, I, you know, hey, let's not, let's not turn the spotlight on me, officer. Oh, right, right. It's about me. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, I mean, at the moment, it's it's a little bit in between things. There's a couple of different, um, you know, I've been consulting for documentaries or this kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's of course, during COVID and lockdown and stuff, life's a little bit weird. Um, so you don't always get go ahead on projects and things like that. Um, but the next one that's coming out is a book with John Arezzi, mm. who's and it should be out in late March, early April. Uh Short version for those who don't know the name. John Arezzi was an early uh, radio wrestling guy and started a wrestling radio show in 75, and he restarted it in late 80s. Um, in between there, he went to school for journalism, 
and but then decided he wanted to get involved in baseball. He got a job with the Mets minor league, and so he was a you know a PR guy and and marketing for that team. And then he went to the bar and saw a band play and basically fell in love with the singer who was Patty Loveless. And so he ended up helping the early part of, you know, Patty Loveless's career. And she's not in the Country Hall of Fame yet, but she will be one day. Mm-hmm. And so he did this crazy pivot into that, then ended up back in wrestling and did some of the early conventions that existed. Uh, he promoted shows. He was the conduit by which um, the AAA guys from Mexico came into the U.S. with Ron Scholar. So he was behind the scenes of all kinds of fascinating points in wrestling history, uh, including covering the sex scandals uh, and the steroid scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he walked away from it all and went into country music and became an executive in country music for 20 years uh, and helped represent talent and this and that. And, and then he ended up discovering Kelsey Ballerini, who's one of the current biggest stars in country music. And now he's back doing wrestling. So it was a fascinating story to tell and complicated. And I'm not sure I would have taken the story at the job if it wasn't for all the other interesting parts, right? I want to learn about music. I want to learn about the baseball stories. You know, I got to talk to John Gibbons, you know, the old Blue Jays manager, because he was one of John Arezzi's buddies in North Carolina with the Mets. Mm -hmm. So they were actually roommates at one point. So I I love learning about things, and I I never know where the next project's going to come from, and I'm, I'm open to ideas for sure. Very good. All right. Uh, softball question uh, to wrap up. Uh, I, I want to hear your names for uh, your picks for greatest wrestler of all time and or greatest Canadian wrestler. And uh, throw with the work you've done on hockey, it would hurt my feelings if I look back and didn't ask you who your favorite hockey player of all time was. Oh, well, let's see. Hockey. Probably Steve Shutt was my favorite growing up. But, I mean, you become that 10-year-old, like I'm standing beside Daryl Sittler, and it's like, oh, my God, it's the captain. You know, and and so those kind of moments are still pretty magical. Uh, With wrestling, oh, man, I just, I loved so many different guys over the years. You know, they get to hang out with Ric Flair a little bit or interview Hulk Hogan. Like, those guys are the pinnacle of what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. But then you deal with the class of a Nick Bockwinkle or a, or a sitting in the bar with a Jack Briscoe or whatever it is. I mean, the opportunities that I've had are just off the charts. Um, I think Luke Luthez was probably the greatest professional wrestler of all time and set the template for what class and championship should be. Uh, but times change, right? It's the mm-hmm. same reason Whipper Billy Watson was by far the greatest Canadian wrestler of all time, and there'll never be any debate about it. But he was also the right guy at the right time because TV was starting. Everybody who knew who he was across the country, uh, there weren't a lot of channels, so wrestling was, was popular and, and well-known, and he was able to do all his own, you know, the merch, right, where he had his, uh, his bottles, his pop bottles he sold, and he did weights and he had a safety club. So Billy Watson really set the, the template in Canada for what, what great professional wrestling can be. And he wasn't a great in-ring wrestler. He wasn't terrible, but especially, you know, he just got lazy. Yeah. Right? He didn't have to do anything to get the reaction. Does that sound like anybody else we know? <laughs> of course. Sounds you know, like why wouldn't it? I mean, exactly. You learn your craft and you do less. It's Don't... such a weird thing. Like, that doesn't happen in hockey. Joe Thornton's got to work harder now yeah. than he ever did in his career. 
just keep up with the young guys. Whereas with wrestling, wrestling, you get older, you slow down. Don't you work. Laugh. Don't work yeah. harder. Work smarter. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> did that answer the question? I, I sort of go around a little bit. Yeah, I don't really always have a, a true answer to those kind of things because they do change nope, based on that, what your criteria is. That absolute that answer absolutely works for me, my friend. So uh, let's wrap up. Uh, Greg Oliver, your next book with John Arezzi, Matt Memories, My Wildlife in Pro Wrestling Country Music and with the Mets is going to be available on, uh, according to your website, on April 6th of this year. And uh, your new book, Who's the Man, Billy Van, available right now. Check out oliverbooks.ca uh, to, uh, to purchase. Buy it directly from the author. That's that's the the, the most profit uh, in it if you sell it yourself, isn't there? <laughs> well, now this one we published ourselves, right? So this was oh, a big deal. Okay. It, Stacey and I went all in. Uh, you know, we got we never really got any nibbles. Like we shopped it around a little bit, and but nobody really knew how it would sell. Oh. So we're out there hustling ourselves. The only place to get it is from us. There's a couple of places. Retail outlets listed on the website, too, and should definitely check there, oliverbooks.ca, just to see if there's one close to you to walk in and get it. But in general, it's it's really only available through us through the mail. So I've been using up a lot of stamps, <laughs> to say the least. So you quickly learn that 271 plus 271 plus 5 gets you to the, the, the proper uh, mail for in Canada. <laughs> Fantastic. So, again, oliverbooks.ca. And uh, right there at the at the top of the homepage, you're gonna find who's the man, Billy Van, and, and it's a really, it's a fascinating story. I definitely, and this is going to be a cover to cover thing for me because uh, he is such a uh, um, an overwhelming memory in my, from my youth, and just from the little bits and pieces that that you've given me so far. I can tell that there is, there's, this is an iceberg. You're, you're only getting 10% above the surface and there's a lot of story underneath. And, uh, I, for one, am glad that, uh, that you did the legwork to, uh, uncover as much of the story for us as you could. And, but as a historian by sort of, maybe not trade, but, but I love histor history. I love going to libraries. I love doing research. It was really a lot of fun to do all that. Yeah. All right. Greg Oliver, thank you once again for coming on the Handsome Genius Club radio show. And uh, I'm sure that we'll be talking to you again soon as more and more of your books hit shelves. That's a good theory. I love it. Thanks a lot for having me on, Anthony. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. All right, kids, that is it for today's episode of the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Uh, remember that we are back on Thursday. The new schedule for the uh, free show is Mondays and Thursdays starting this week. Uh, the Friday Patreon exclusive show is still, of course, Fridays. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash my name is kingdom. Uh, for as little as two bucks a month, you get those Friday episodes along with a bunch of other stuff that's available. And, of course, uh, merch at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Kingdom James. And, of course, at the new Teespring store, Teespring.com slash stores slash My Name is Kingdom. 
all the social media at my name is kingdom twitter instagram youtube and uh and twitch twitch i've been testing out my twitch channel because um this week thursday night i am going to be playing among us with the ontario indie crew including matthew grant jt kirk um uh, uh bmd uh who else is usually in there john greed possibly space monkey uh yeah uh, a lot of people who i'm gonna i'm gonna murder i'm gonna murder space monkey i'm gonna i'm gonna murder space monkey I'm going to do it. If there wasn't a cooldown at the beginning of the game, I'd do it right there in the cafeteria with everybody watching. I'm coming to get you, Space Monkey. And the more I say this, the more sus I'm going to be when when Monkey dies. Uh, <laughs> um, what else can I tell you? That's it. That's it. That's it for today. Uh, some Some good guests coming up. Some interesting guests coming up. I don't want to name names because whenever I do that, um, something goes wrong. So I'm not going to jinx it. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the next few episodes of the show. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'll talk to you again on Thursday. In the meantime, take care of one another. Find some good trouble to get into. Remember, your Uncle Kingdom loves you.